0: Other than the Bible, there have been a number of books that have made a significant impact upon me in ministry. For example, there have been a number of of theology books that I have read, once again, along with the Bible, that have greatly shaped the way I view God and the way I think about myself and the Christian faith and the way in which I view the world. There have been a number of books on, on preaching that I have read, that have influenced the way I prepare throughout the week and the way I preach Sunday after Sunday. There have been a number of books on the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life that have helped me improve in my personal Bible study and and prayer time and and just help improve my overall walk with, with Christ. There have been a number of books on missions That I have opened my eyes to what God's Word teaches about missions and and why it is important and how we as a church should approach missions in, in God's heart for the nations. I've read a number of books on leadership that have helped me in dealing with people and making decisions. So there have been a, a, a number of books that I have read that have, have shaped the way I view and do ministry. And one book that has made a significant impact in my life as a pastor is Tom Rainer's book, Simple Church. Here it is up on the screen. Many of you are familiar with this book. I read this book over 10 years ago, and the interesting thing about this book when I first read it was it really didn't teach me a new way to look at the role of the church or a new philosophy on ministry, but it did help me better explain my philosophy of ministry. You with me? You ever had someone say something and you're thinking to yourself, that's what I believe as well, he or she just said it a whole lot better than I did. Well, that's the way I felt about Rainer's book when I I first read it. That's what I believe as well. He just says it a whole lot better than me. So it made a huge impact on, on me in ministry. My philosophy of ministry is very important to me. I've told you that before in the past. One of the main reasons why I came to this church initially was, other than, of course, the fact that I agreed doctrinally, with with the staff and the leadership and the church was because of the church's philosophy of ministry. When I was serving as associate pastor in Fellowship Bible Church in Fort Smith, I turned down other opportunities that came along solely because of differences in this area. So when Jim Wilson, who started the church, who he was here before he transitioned to Costa Rica, when he was back here and began to talk with me about the opportunity to come to Jacksonville. One of the defining moments for me was when they sent me a copy of the church's statement of faith and the mission statement of the church. After reading that, I knew Fellowship Bible Church Jacksonville, Texas was a place where I could see myself because I was in agreement with the church in these two areas. Now, some of you, upon hearing that, are thinking, well, what is the church's, what is your philosophy of ministry? Well, I'm glad you asked. For the next few weeks, we are going to be discussing just that. Now, I haven't forgotten about our study in Luke, right? We're going to pick up in chapter 9 after we're finished here, and we're going to keep going until we get through. But uh, for the next five weeks, I thought it would be good, the beginning of 2020. To start with the sermon series entitled Discovering Fellowship. For the next five Sundays, we are going to be talking about who we are as a church, why we exist, and why we do what we do biblically. And what I hope happens is over the next five weeks, those of you who don't know what we're all about, my prayer for you is that you would come to have a better understanding of who we are. And those of you who have a good grasp on who we are and our mission and our philosophy of ministry, my hope for you is that after this series is over, you will be able to better communicate our mission to others. And and my hope and prayer is that we would all be able, as believers to better understand our role in helping put this mission statement into practice. In the first sermon of this series, I want to share with you first that we at Fellowship are all about making disciples. We are about making disciples. To begin, let me talk just a little bit further about Simple Church, and then I'll get into our text for the week. Let's look at the book again. Just in case you can't read it, I don't know. There's no way you can read that, I don't think. The subtitle of this book is great. It just really captures what the book is about. The subtitle of the book is this, Returning to God's Process of Making Disciples. In this book, Rayner makes the point that there are a lot of churches that are doing a lot of things. And you may know some of these churches. Even the smallest of churches, many of them... In those churches, there are tons of programs and activities. So, so churches, no matter the size, are busy for the most part. And what Rainer found when examining these churches is that while the churches have a whole lot of programs, they're busy doing a lot of things, that does not mean the church is healthy and functioning in the way it should. What you find in a lot of those cases is the opposite is in fact true. A lot of churches, what you have is you have a program for everything. You have a a different purpose or different mission statement for each program. And the people serving in these different ministries don't know the, the mission statement of that particular program. And churches become extremely complicated in the way in which they function. These churches are rendered ineffective because... While they're doing a lot of things and going in a lot of different directions, they're aimless in their in their target and their mission has been skewed. No one really knows what the church is all about. While these churches are working harder than some, they've they've become twice as ineffective, Rayner says, because they don't have one overarching biblical. Purpose and they're not getting anywhere. They're, they're, they're working harder and not smarter. They're swinging a dull axe at a gigantic tree and they're not even making a dent. Rainer goes on in the book to say that one of the things that he noticed when he studied a number of churches is one of the main characteristics of healthy churches that they examined was that each one of these healthy churches had one overarching biblical purpose and the people in the church for the most part understood the purpose of the church they knew it and understood it and and even their place their role their part in helping the church accomplish its purpose he makes the argument that for the church to be healthy it needs to return to a simple and clear understanding of its mission you know what scripture is clear on what that mission is. During Jesus' earthly ministry, He gave His disciples a clear and simple to understand mission. He gave them a clear assignment of what they were to be doing until He returns, and it's found in Matthew 28, 18-20. Here it is up on the screen. You can turn there if you like. Jesus said this, I'm going to leave and return someday soon, but until my return, you are to be going. And as you are going, as you are going, you're to be seeking out followers of me. And as you escort non-believers to Christ, you're to bring them in, you're to baptize them, you're to bring them together in a local church community and you are to pour into them and teach them to observe my teachings, and they are to go and do likewise. Pretty simple, right? That's what the church is to be doing until Christ returns. So this book makes the argument that for us to become more effective and healthy as a church, we need to return to Jesus' simple, clear, and practical Mission. We need to be about making disciples. I don't know if you've read our church's mission statement, but that is the mission statement of our church. Here it is up on the screen. Our church's mission is to escort people to Christ, establish people in truth, and equip people for ministry. We want to see those who don't know Christ come to know Christ. But that's not all. That's just the beginning. Christ didn't say make new converts, did he? He said make disciples. Now, in order for you to become a disciple, you have to first give your life to Christ, surrendering to his lordship, but that's just the beginning. We then want to take those who have committed their lives to Christ, and number two, establish them in truth. In other words, we want to come alongside believers through the ministries of this church and help them grow in their knowledge of God and in the Christian faith and help them apply what they've learned from God's Word and give them opportunities to live out their Christian faith in the context of a Christian community. We want to equip people for ministry. That is what it means to be a disciple. So if someone were to ask you about our church and what our church is all about, you can tell them this, Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. Now what I want to do for the rest of the morning is I want to talk with you a bit more about why... We at Fellowship Bible Church should be all about making disciples. I want to show you from Scripture why this should be one of the main purposes of our church and the ministries of our church and one of your main purposes as believers. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 4. Tricked you, didn't I? Thought I was going to Matthew 28. We could go there. But I like Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. The reason why is because in this passage, Paul explains to us how God wants us as a church to be all about discipleship and how that benefits the local body. Several principles I want you to see from this text. Number one, I want you to see that God gifts pastors so they will equip believers. That's point number one. Let's begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says... And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. In verse 11, Paul says that Jesus has given his church gifts that he expects for them to use and benefit from. And he goes on to list these gifts for the church. The first one he mentions is apostles. An apostle For the most part in the New Testament, we see for the most part an apostle is someone who has seen and has been commissioned by the risen Christ. The second gift he mentions is prophecy. The prophets were those people who spoke revelation from God before the written revelation of God was completed. Now, I believe these are foundational gifts. I don't believe that apostles and prophets, the way that I describe them here, are still in the church today. They were present in the first century, and we do have their their message from Scripture that is to be taught in our churches. That's what we're doing this morning from the Apostle Paul. But they are the foundation layers, okay? Third gift, he mentions, is evangelism, the evangelists. Who are the evangelists? I know some of you have images popping into your head. Some of those not so good, right? But the evangelists were people who went to places where there were no churches and no believers. And they went and they spread the gospel message. And as people responded in repentance and faith as they were escorted to Christ, they brought those people together, baptized them, formed a local community, a church, and, and they, they, they formed churches where there were no churches. They, they reached out to people who had not heard the gospel, and they planted churches where there were no churches. The fourth, and I believe fifth gift, some view these as, as, as the same They they do overlap, but it's shepherds and teachers. Some bring these together, but I believe they're they're meant to be separate. While they do share the same article, these two, the reason why I think that's the case is because we've got some overlap in, in function here. While teachers can be teachers and not necessarily pastors, pastors must be teachers because... One of the key things a shepherd does is feed his flock, right? Charles Swindoll said this in his commentary on Ephesians. Look at this quote. Pastors feed their sheep through the teaching and preaching of the word. Next quote, Peter O'Brien in his commentary on Ephesians says this, Although it has often been held that the two groups are identical, it is more likely that the terms describe overlapping functions. All pastors teach, since teaching is an essential part of pastoral ministry, but not all teachers are also pastors. Our focus this morning will be on this particular office and function the shepherd, the pastor, teacher, the teaching pastor. But before we look at that, we need to answer a question. When looking at all these gifts listed here, we need to ask this question. Why did Jesus give the church these foundational gifts of apostles and prophets and the gifts of evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? Why did, why did God give the church these gifts? Is it so that members of the church could come week in and week out and just watch these people, the professionals, do the work of ministry? A lot of the time, that's, that's what we think. When we think about Christian ministry, we think about it in this way. Look at this image. This is the way we view it. Look at this next image here. Penn State football. How about that, Brett. We think about it like a football game. When you go to a football game, you participate to an extent in that you wear your team's colors and you cheer your team to victory. But let's be honest, while we often give ourselves high fives when our team scores, we're not doing anything, right? And if we did not attend that game, the result would still be the same, am I right? A lot of people think of ministry in this way. They they think that that those who do the work of ministry are the teachers, the shepherds, the evangelists. That's their responsibility to do the work of ministry. And we just show up and show our support. I mean, we come, we'll sing the songs, we, we clap, we nod our head in approval, we amen at the sermon. But we are not really the ones who are supposed to be doing ministry. Many think in this way, but is that what this passage is teaching? Is it teaching us that the the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors are, are the ones responsible for doing ministry, while the rest of the church just sits back and simply shows support? Let's keep reading. Verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints... For the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. So so here's what Paul is saying here. He is saying that God has gifted leaders like pastors and teachers for the purpose of equipping people, believers, to do the work of ministry. So my role... In this church, according to God's word, is to equip believers to use their gifts for the purpose of ministry. Is that not what Paul is saying here in verse 12? Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this. Look at this quote. Paul says quite simply, that God has given gifted leadership to the church to prepare God's people for works of service. Those in pastoral roles are to prepare God's people for ministry. Next quote, Clinton Arnold says, Christ gives these gifted leaders to the church not to do the ministry for the various members of the body while they passively receive... But to help prepare each one of them to actively serve in the ways he has gifted them. True. That moves us right into our second point. Point number two God equips believers so they will do ministry. Our first point is that God gives pastors so they'll equip believers. Number two, God equips believers so they will do ministry. The word prepare, equip, in verse 12, carries with it the idea of preparing a room. Whenever we have an event here at the church, especially a big one where we have to come in here, we have to prepare this room for that event. That's the same kind of image that's going on here God has told us in his word that we as believers when we come to meet as his church the reason we are to meet is to come together to get dressed up to get ready to get prepared to get equipped to do ministry you may not realize that's why you're here but that is why you are supposed to be here not just to feel good not just to be with friends, not just to get a boost for the week, you are here to get ready. You are here to get equipped. You are here to get prepared to do the work that God has called for you to do in the ministries of this church and in the world. So, the better image is, is this instead of attending a football game, it's like this look at this image. It's practice. The church is more like practice. It's a place where you come to train and get ready. It's a place where you come to get equipped to do the work of ministry. Which leads us to our third point. Third point is this point number three believers do ministry so the church will be built up. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The ministry that we're to be doing is building up the body of Christ growing people up in Christ maturing people in Christ that is the business we're to be all about that is the mission of the church to make disciples so we're to come to church to get equipped to do just that to do ministry and the ministry we're to be doing is making disciples we're to be equipped here so that we can in turn go into the ministries that take place in this church and go out into the world and make disciples of others helping them grow up in Christ and mature in the faith so that our church is built up so that the kingdom is built up that is our ministry we are to come here to get discipled so that we can go and effectively make disciples so that those disciples can make disciples that is the ministry Of the church. That is to be your ministry. That is my ministry. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me. In the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men. Who will be able to teach others also. That's what you're to be doing. Coming here. To get equipped. To go out there. To teach others. So that they go and teach others. So that they go and teach others. This is so key. We have a huge misunderstanding as believers today when it comes to the gifts. We we may understand that God has given us gifts. We may even rightly understand that the church is the place where I come to get equipped to use that gift. But a lot of the times, we reason in this way. We believe the gifts are ultimately about us, that they're for our benefit to put the spotlight on me. Check me out. Look at how God's gifted me. That's the Corinthian problem. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians. They are wanting the showy gifts so that they could be on display. Show how spiritual they were. According to this verse here, that's an incorrect use of the gift that God has given you. Paul says the purpose of the gifts are to build up the body of Christ. Max Anders says this in his commentary on Ephesians. A lot of great commentaries on Ephesians. Our guys are about to start studying Ephesians. Great book. It is not the task of pastors to do all the work of ministry. Their task is to prepare God's people for works of service. When believers are equipped and people accept the calling of ministering to others, then the whole body is built up, matured, strengthened, and flourishes. Believers, God has given you a gift. He has gifted all of us in different ways but for one purpose. For a purpose that is much bigger than you, a purpose much bigger than me. He has given you a gift and wants you to get equipped here and prepared to use that gift, not to show people how spiritual you are, but for the sake of other believers, for the sake of the church, so that his body, his church, his people might be built up. Look at verse 13 of Ephesians 4. Paul says until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This verse tells us we're to be committed to do this to making disciples until we are complete in Christ. Now we are not there yet. Can I get an amen on that? There are no grace graduates in this church. And there will not be until Christ returns. While we as a church are referred to as the body of Christ, which shows how significant the church really is, right now many of our churches are not being the body very well. In fact, all of our churches could really be the body better. So because this is the case, our goal should be to mature individually and corporately as a church so that we can better function as an extension of Christ as His body. When little babies first learn to walk, they're pretty awkward, aren't they? Not being mean, just being honest. Fall down a lot. Takes them a while to figure out. They have joints. They sort of walk stiff-legged. They can't get anywhere very fast. But their little bodies don't stay that way, do they? They eventually grow and mature and begin to function properly. We as a church are to do the same thing. Like I said, many, many of our churches, they, they lack maturity. They're not being the body very well. So what we're to be doing in response is, is maturing. We are to be growing as individuals and as a church so that we can better represent our head, Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to tell us the benefit of maturing. Look at verse 14. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul says we do this so that we will no longer be infants, no longer be children. Another common characteristic of children is they're, they're immature. Our responsibility as, as parents is to see them become more mature, but that takes time, right? For example, children tend to be naive. It's pretty easy to trick them, isn't it? They just sort of go with what you say. They take whatever you say at face value. They think that's what you said, so I'm going I'm to go with it. Eventually, they learn to question certain things and hopefully grow in, in wisdom and, and understanding and are eventually able to tell the truth from a lie. Paul is saying that's the way we should be as Christians. When we first come to Christ, we're immature, right? We're, we're infants. We're, we're children. Anything we hear, we just sort of go along with. That was my first year of being a Christian. Lots of people would give me books written by Christians and I, I would read them and for the most part I'd just go with whatever the author said. Now of course God was at work by His grace through His Spirit and the Spirit of God was was working in my life early on and Red flags would come up when I would read something that didn't sound right. I just didn't know how to defend it yet from from Scripture. But by God's grace through His providence, He kept me from from terrible error early on. But but I agreed with a whole lot more than what I do today. It took years of studying God's Word to develop a more discerning spirit. And I began to realize that just because I buy a book from a Christian bookstore doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it. A lot of times that's not the case. If you've just been a believer for a short period of time, listen, and you're immature in your faith, don't, don't get discouraged by that, but, but don't stay where you are. I have some people who've come to me, they get discouraged. I'm not where he is, I'm not where she is. I'm like, you're not him or her, you're you. Where are you? The important thing is that you go from where you are forward in your faith. That's what we want to see. We want to see you advancing in godliness from wherever you are. We're all in this race, believers, and we're at different points in the race. The key is for you to keep advancing, for you to keep running, right? That's the key. We need to be moving towards spiritual maturity so that we are guarded from error, so that we are protected from the heretical teachings of The enemy, so that Paul says you're not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We need to all get to the point where we, when we hear certain beliefs that are suspect, we know that they are. And why? Because we have developed, we have matured through the study of God's Word, through the inward work of the Holy Spirit and through the sharpening that we have received from the instruction and correction of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. The way we develop, the way we mature believers is by going to the Word, relying upon the Spirit to instruct us and grow us in the Word, grow us in our knowledge of God's Word so that we mature. We also, we go to the church to gather with God's people corporately to be instructed and corrected and exhorted together from the word and then we are to go into the ministries of this church and lovingly correct and exhort and instruct one another from God's word. That's how we grow. That's the way it's meant to work. The church is where you get equipped to think biblically so that you believe biblically so that You live biblically. That's how it works. This is God's purpose for the church. I believe it's His purpose for every church, and it's our purpose here at Fellowship. Maybe upon hearing this message this morning, you're saying to yourself, you know, I I have a desire to grow up in Christ. I'd like to do it here, but honestly, I don't know where to begin. First and foremost, ask yourself this. Do you know Christ personally? Have you come to the point in your life where you have turned from going at life on your own and have you given your life up and over to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus. Before you can be established in truth and equipped for ministry, you must first come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. While God created us to live in right relationship with Him, we turned away from Him. We chose to go at life on our own. He created us for Himself to live for Him in His glory and we rejected that and we we chose to be the King and we landed outside the kingdom. We sinned against Him. That relationship that man enjoyed with God from the beginning, it was broken because of sin, and we continued down that path apart from and opposed to God. Thankfully, God did something about that. He made a way for us to enter back into a right relationship with Him where there seemed to be no way, He made a way. He sent His Son, God the Son, to become one of us, to live the perfect life, the life that Adam failed to live, the life that we could never live because we're in Adam. And He laid His life down. He died the death we deserve to die because of our sin. He conquered death with his death and he rose again so that we who believe on him, on Jesus, could be forgiven of sin, restored to God, and have life eternal in him. That's the gospel. That's the central message of scripture. If you're here this morning and you have not responded to this message, You're not trusting in Christ for your salvation. If you've never made that decision, I invite you to today. That's the reason you're here, is to hear this message, to be urged to respond to it in repentance and faith. If you have not, I urge you today, turn from your sin, bow the knee to King Jesus, and be saved. Let's pray together.